0: We are in our series on the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a summary teaching of the Christian faith, uh, systematic theology, and if you want to read or get a copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith, it's actually public domain online. But if you'd like a book, uh, they are free in the bookstore and we still have some copies uh, left if you want to snag one. And this morning, um, last week we looked at, Ray looked at chapter six of the confession, which was the fall, man's rebellion. He talked about how last week that we, we punched God in the face and it created this incredible brokenness and distance um, in, in the relationship with God. This morning we're going to look at covenant, chapters seven and eight. So if you're willing and able, why don't you stand? going to read from uh, Jeremiah chapter 31. This is God's Word. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. This is God's word, and every part of it is true. And he gives it to us because he loves us. You may be seated. Can I ask you a personal question? Have you uh, have you ever been in a uh, long distance relationship? You know, dating someone on the other side of the country, on the other side of the state. You don't get to see them much. You know, and in a long distance relationship, what makes it hard is the distance. You write letters. You make phone calls, you go on FaceTime, but no matter how much of that you do, you still want to cross the distance because the distance creates a friction that you want to solve. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this, says the distance between God and his creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, Yet they could never have any fruition of Him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which He has been pleased to express by way of covenant. It says the distance is so great. How great is it? You know, when Scripture wants to echo this or teach us about the distance between us and God when scripture wants to cut the legs out of our arrogance or how big we think we are the scriptures usually just tell us to look at the sky to look at the stars and to ask who created it and then let the magnitude of the galaxies do their work on us some Job 22 Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. Psalm 8. When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? I tell you what. Let's just go back to eighth grade science, okay? All right, look at this. There's all the planets. Notice how large Jupiter is. Look at Earth compared to Jupiter. All right, next slide. There's the sun. Look at Jupiter, (laughs) the comparison. And then look at Earth. Earth is a little dot. All right, next one. Arcturus. It's not even the largest star that we know of. Look at Jupiter. It's just one pixel. And what's missing? Earth is invisible at this scale. You're invisible from the heavens. You're not even a speck on a speck. So all of our achievements, all of our boasting, all of our kingdoms cannot even be seen from out there. I mean, this is kind of a dropping your jaw kind of thing. Are you kidding me? Scripture mentions the physical distance to illustrate the real distance between a holy and powerful God, our creator, and our, our rebellious, his rebellious creatures. And the confession says this that God condescends to make a covenant with us, to make a covenant relationship. Can I just ask the obvious question? Why bother? Why bother with with creatures that are basically invisible, who are polluted and foul and rebellious and arrogant? Why bother? I mean, who cares? The confession says that God was pleased to do so, that it, that it came out of his joy. You see, God, in his essence, is covenant. One God in three persons, a covenant relationship in the Trinity, experiencing joy and love constantly, So the fact that God condescended, that God crossed the distance, was because it was an overflow of joy from the Trinity that spilled over to make a covenant relationship with us. Dane Ortlund says this, he says, When we speak of God's heart, what pleased Him, we are not so much speaking of one attribute alongside others, we are asking who he most deeply is. What pours out of him most naturally? So what pours out of God most naturally? Pours out of him. Covenant relationship out of the Trinity. So first, covenant defined. What is this? Four times in this passage, covenant appears. This is the longest Old Testament passage that is quoted in the New Testament in its entirety. It's also referenced nine times in the New Testament. He says, a time is coming when I will make a new covenant. So all through the Bible, God only relates to us through covenants. Now a covenant is a bond which creates a particular kind of relationship. It is a relationship that, on the one hand, it is more intimate, and it is more personal than a legal relationship, and it's a relationship that is far more binding and far more unconditional than a relationship based upon personal feelings. It's a stunning blend of law and love, and it's more personal, and it's more intimate because it is binding because each side is making a vow each side gives up some independence each side makes a promise a promise to be faithful and loyal and devoted and for the other no matter how hard it gets marriage marriage is a covenant relationship so Adam and Eve, Ray talked about last week that that, um, in in the garden and when God created them and set them in the garden he just didn't Put them there and go, hey, guys, how's it going? Have a good time here. No, he made a covenant with them. He said, I will do this, and you will do thus. It was a covenant of works. You know, you look at this chart here. This is a, a representation of all the covenants. You see Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and, and all coming to Christ, it's, they're all building upon one another as there's continuous flow. The covenants do not replace themselves. They build towards this climax in Christ. And really, there's just basically two covenants. The covenant of works, law, and the covenant of grace. And both of them continue through the whole of Scripture. Law and love All of them are a personal bond with God, with promised blessings and given conditions. Now, covenants show us that God is not cardboard. He's not one-dimensional. Some people mistakenly characterize God as that God's a lawgiver, moral absolutes, and that you better keep the rules or God is going to smite you. Watch it, boy. I'm going to get you. Don't you step out of line. That's legalism. Other people characterize God as just being all love. Yeah, God loves everybody. It doesn't matter how you live. There's no real requirements. God's just love. He's just a good feeling. That's relativism. That's cardboard. The covenant shows us that God is full law and full love. And God's covenant relationship is not like It's not like a relationship between a police officer and a would-be offender. God is not a parole officer. In fact, in this passage that we read, it says that they broke the covenant that God had with them. And the very first thing out of God's mouth is to say, I was their husband. So you can summarize the history of God's covenant relationship with his people by, by this, a groom pursuing a bad bride. Or you could summarize it with this video. stupid sheep. I mean, that's it. That's a summary of God's uh, pursuit. And the thing is, what, what actually dominates the covenant motif throughout scripture is watching God relentlessly pursue his people. Nine times in this passage, it's in the first person, I will make I made, I took them, I was, I will, I will write, I will be their God, I will forgive, I will remember. God just echoes this this relentless pursuit of this groom pursuing his bad bride. During the Vietnam War, there was a young soldier who was missing in action. And his family back in the States could not get any information on it through the official channels. And so his older brother, without hesitation, jumped on a plane, flew to Vietnam, and began to search the battlefields and the jungles looking for his lost brother. He was not military. And despite all the dangers of being on a battlefield and crossing through all the jungles and stuff, he was never hurt. And both sides had so much respect for him and his quest and the way he carried it out, his determination, his relentless pursuit, that he simply became known as the brother. Our covenant God is simply known as the husband who will cross any distance. Two, the tension, covenant tension. Now, the new covenant here in Jeremiah... it's it's presented to us as as solving a problem, um, resolving a tension. And the tension is alluded to here. He says, I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with my forefathers. Now, if you read the Bible, this puzzle will be presented to you. There's times in the Bible where it says things like this. Where God says, you have to obey me fully. You must keep my covenant. And if you don't, I will cast you off. I will reject you. Like Exodus 19. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then you will be my treasured possession. If you obey me fully, it looks like the covenant is completely conditional. But then there's other times in the Bible where it says things like this. God says to Israel, I will never reject you. I will never break the covenant. I will never cast you off. I will always come after you, no matter how bad it gets. So which is it? Is your relationship with God conditional or unconditional? Is it based on law or is it based on love? Which is it? That's the tension. This is the big question. And if you read the Bible, you see it. Some people think that the promise is relative and the command is absolute. That's legalism. Others see the promise as absolute and the command is relative. That's relativism. I just have to live how you want, God will bless you anyway. So which is it? And all of us actually come down on one side or the other. It's not just really a philosophical problem, it's actually a personal problem. I had a seminary professor and uh, he was also a pastor. And he said, for him, whenever people came to him with their problems, he always had one of two jobs to do. He said, when people would come in his office, He would either do one or two things. He would either disturb the comfortable or comfort the disturbed. That everyone was on one category or another. You see, some people have their consciences on, they're screwed on too loose. All their lives they have been told they're wonderful, that they're not really that bad of a person, that the problem is outside of them, not inside of them. And so they, they bristle at authority. They're more self-indulgent. And when they do things wrong, they just kind of shrug about it. You know, no matter how bad they can be at times, they always manage to think very well of themselves. It doesn't bother them at all to cheat people out of time or money. And and, and they're the ones that determine what is right and wrong in life. And they jump from relationship to relationship. They're just just selfish people. Their conscience is is screwed on too loose. But... They need to feel more guilty. They they need to feel more conviction. But they don't. It's just on too loose. Then there's others, their conscience is screwed on too tight. They're just tied up in knots about the rules. Everything's got to be done in precision. Precision. And they always feel horrible. They always have a sense of worthlessness and being small and, and they're just hard on themselves and they beat themselves up and their shoulders are always hanging down. And, and, or sometimes they just become critical and nagging about the rules and they're hard on other people. Well, Their conscience is screwed on too tight. Mark Twain said that he had a reoccurring dream of a big, black Bible crushing him. He just always felt so condemned and so guilty, always like he was never enough. C.S. Lewis um, writes about this. He says, the truth is, we believe in decency so much, we feel the rule of law pressing on us so That we cannot bear to face the fact that we are breaking it. And consequently we try to shift responsibility. For you notice that it's only our bad behavior that we find all these explanations. It is only our bad temper that we put down to being tired or worried or hungry. We put our good temper down to ourselves. So is your relationship with God conditional or unconditional is it based on law or is it based on love is your conscience too loose or is it too tight what's the way forward third the fullness of the covenant now in the old testament the covenant that is being spoken of in jeremiah god gave them two things he gave them the Ten Commandments that were written on stone. God and Charlton Heston did it together. Okay, But he also gave them the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle was the altar for the blood of animals to cover their sins. So there was law and there was love in the Old Covenant. There was a way for them to have their sins atoned for when they did not keep the law. So this law and love was present. Then it says they broke the covenant. They did not keep the commandments, but they also stopped making sacrifices and offerings. They stopped repenting. They stopped asking for forgiveness. So what does God do? He comes after them. Even though he said he would cast them off, he comes after them. He pursues them. So is it conditional or unconditional? Now the New Covenant mentioned here. The New Covenant has law. He says, I will put my law in them, in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. The law that once pressed on the outside is now going to press them on the inside. It's going to come from their hearts. So they're going to have a new ability and a new desire to want to obey the law. They can and they'll want to. Obey it from their heart. But also in the new covenant, there's love. There's not going to be any more need for ongoing sacrifices because he says to them, I will remember your sins no more. There'll be a new experience of love that empowers you to obey. Something like they did not know in the old covenant. Now, remember when you were young and in love. And when you're young and you fall in love, the demands of love don't bother you. You delight to meet the demands of love, not from a sense of duty, but a sense of from inward delight. You're moved towards them. 1987, this movie came out called The Princess Bride. It was almost like a cultic type film. Because uh, the Jones family, we could quote almost the whole film. It's a hilarious movie, right? Well, you'll see it this weekend. You'll need to watch it. But the movie begins like this. A young girl lives on the family farm, and her family owns the farm. And this young man works for them. And she's always telling him what to do. She calls him farm boy. Farm boy, do this. Farm boy, do that. She's giving him these, all these commands, are bossing him around all the time, telling him what to do. But what's interesting is every time she tells him what to do, he responds to her the same way. As you wish. As you wish. And what we learn is that when he said, as you wish," He was really telling her that he was in love with her. You see, the commands, the demands came from the inside. They came from delight for him. So, because of the new covenant, love is going to be inside you. You'll want God's correction. You'll want his law. You'll want his conviction. It'd be like a strength coach or a physical therapist. You treasure the correction, the coaching, the command to forgive, the command to worship, the command to reconcile, the command to repent, the command to be generous, the command to walk humbly before God. And so that when God gives you something to do, He tells you something to do in His Word, you respond saying, as you wish. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Carla Harding says this. She says, right beliefs are insufficient. Right beliefs and right action are also insufficient. It's the transformation of our desires, the inner orientation of our hearts tied with belief and action that are the demonstrations of a life of God within us. As you wish. So, law and love coming together in the new covenant, but how does this happen? Now, if you read the Bible, one of the most reoccurring phrases that is always attached to covenant theology, covenant reading of the Bible, is that God says this He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Uh, That's really strong language. I will be yours. If somebody comes to you and says, I will be yours. I want to be yours. It means they're going ha- to give up independence. They're going to say, I'm for you. I'm putting your interests first. Now, when it says here, we will be his people, well, we go, okay, that makes sense. Because we owe everything to God. He's our creator. He made us. But for God to give himself to us in such a way that we would actually have a claim on him, that he would be ours, that God would lose his independence. How does that happen? Well, at the Last Supper, Jesus says this. He's quoting Jeremiah. He says, this cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, the disciples would immediately have gone, that's that's right from the words of Jeremiah. And Jesus was telling them, it's coming true tonight. My death, my blood, not the blood of goats, like the Old Testament, is going to bring together law and love in a whole new way. That my death is going to bring about a more loving, a more binding, a more transforming covenant relationship. And the Apostle Paul tells us exactly how this happened using covenant understanding. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That Jesus obeyed the covenant law perfectly as a human. And he took the curse for us not obeying the condition. Law and love and fullness. And he gives us the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus obeyed perfectly as a human, he was our mediator. So, class is God's relationship with you conditional or unconditional? Yes, and yes. You are saved by works. You are saved by obedience. Human obedience. But it's the obedience of another. Christ as your mediator. You're saved by his obedience, and you are saved by him taking the curse for you. He fulfilled the demands so that he can be utterly committed to you forever. On the cross, Jesus fulfilled the law. The law, we see, is so important that he had to die. He had to die. There was no other way. But love was brought in fullness because he was glad to die. He became both just and justifier. In Christ, law and love are reconciled such that with the Holy Spirit, and the law is written on our hearts such that we are moved that we want to obey, not out of fear, not out of duty, because we've experienced a kind of love that empowers us. So on the cross, he became ours so that we can make ourselves his so the gospel can recalibrate your conscience okay so which one are you is your conscience screwed on too tight you know you're you're always bound up you're always fearful you're always feeling condemned you're always feeling small like you can never do it right that god would never smile on you you don't have any worth You're always trying to prove yourself. Your conscience is too tight. Everybody else is doing stuff wrong. Or is your conscience too loose? You know, you just kind of wink at sin. You know, you wink when things go wrong, you do stuff wrong. Yeah, it doesn't matter, God loves you anyway. Is it too loose? Well, the gospel can recalibrate you. And you might say, well, Pastor, I actually spent five years with too loose. Now I'm five years too tight. Doesn't matter. The gospel can still recalibrate you. The cross means this, that the law is so important and sin is so wrong that you need to resist it with all your might. But when you see Jesus dying for you on the cross, you understand that he is so committed to you that when you fail, Law and and love in its fullness. Now, Martin Luther, um, he was known uh, for his conscience problems. His conscience was on too tight. As a monk, he always worked harder than any of the other monks in acts of service. He always stayed praying longer. He always did more study. He was always beating everybody. But at the end of the day, he still felt condemnation he still had self loathing. He still felt so guilty. And he'd wake up the next day, and he would try even harder. He was exhausting himself, and he was exhausting to everyone else as well. It was on too tight. But when the gospel came home to Martin Luther, he wrote a conversation to his conscience about law and love. Here's what he wrote. Know your place, O law. Condemn me not, for I have the righteousness of Christ. Know your boundaries. Do not try to climb into my conscience and condemn me. My conscience is a lady and a queen. Know your place, O law. You do well to inform me of my sin and show me how beautiful is my place in Christ. But dare you not rob me of my hope and joy. Condemn me not, hound me no more about my lack of performance. Christ is my covering and my song of redemption. He has kept your demands perfectly. You have no voice over the hope of my heart. Do not hum your dirge of condemnation in my presence. Show me the way of love, for in that you are beautiful to those in Christ. But do not wag your finger of condemnation in my face, for Christ has valiantly rescued me from your accusing glare and your stern look of disapproval. Know your place, O oh law. Know your place. Law and love, full. Do you do you know your place? Do you know your place? You know, the Bible uh, uh, vibrates this covenant language another way when God says this. He says, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. God is self identifying himself with them, naming himself with them that, that he belongs to them. I am the God of Adam Jones. It almost sounds irreverent, doesn't it? That God would self-identify with me. That I have a claim on God. He's mine. I'm in possession of him. And he is in possession of me. So you know what that means? It means you can't live your life the way you want You cannot live your life the way you want. You get to live your life the way you love. He has written it on your heart. You belong to God. You do not belong to yourself. But you love to belong to Him. That's your place.